Find out everything you're doing, write it down and delegate the bottom 50% of what you're doing to a more of an administrative person. And so you're doing all of the higher priority items. You can get very effective and productive by having a number of assistants. And that's a very efficient model. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Surgeon Syndicate. This is your host, Mike McManus, and we are here today with Mark Ferris. This is the second half of our conversation. If you missed the first episode, please go back and listen to it. Mark gives some great perspective. History is an elite hockey player, now was a real estate agent, and now moving into the syndication space, originally from the Toronto area, but now working in Florida and making multifamily investments available in Florida for his investors. Welcome back, Mark. Yeah, great to be here, Michael, in part two of the talk here. (laughs) So we were talking about mindset, and you said two books you mentioned the last one was Robert Kawasaki and Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. And you said something about your top three. What was the third book out of that series? Uh, well, so I'm a Christian. So I think the Bible for me is up there from, I think there's a lot of business principles actually in that as well. For me, when it comes down to, it really depends what you're going after when it comes down to business books, goal books. If you told me kind of an area to what would be my favorite, I'd probably quote kind of the three if we're starting to get into the different niches there. <laughs> okay. I would say How to Win Friends and Influence People would be another great relational book there that I think everybody should read by Dale Carnegie. So that man, those are three big classics there. We're now Robert Kawasaki's the new guy on the block (laughs) compared to Napoleon Hill and Carnegie. So when you were talking about this before of the mindset and overcoming troubles, so you were a high-level athlete. You played hockey in the US and Canada and Europe and Sweden. And you're a successful business person. I look at you and I go, wow, this guy, man, he's a tough guy. He's got this dialed down. But we know each other because we've worked with the same coach, Trevor McGregor. And we talked about masterminds and putting your brains together. So what is it for you personally? You've had a lot of success and obviously you've got a pretty good mindset, but you still see benefit out of working with a high-level coach now. Yeah. I mean, just going back to any sort of top athlete, they all have coaches, right? And I think that business is very similar to that, to sports. I mean, the reality is, I mean, just think of one player competing against five, say you're playing hockey and you got a goalie and one player against a team of five and a goalie, like it doesn't seem fair, right? And so the reality is if you can build a team towards your mission, I think that's really important. But if you have a coach standing on the bench that can see the overall game from a different perspective, Like I think perspective is really important. They see things differently than you do. And so sometimes it's just a suggestion that you just don't see that makes all the difference in the world, right? And so I think having a coach is vitally important. Again, that's what big athletes do. And I think that's where any sort of high-performance business professional, and they all have coaches and they all say the same thing if you really start researching because you need to have new thoughts imparted to you. And it's like, walk with the wise Solomon, right? Walk with the wise and become wise. There are people that are more wise than us that are out there. So anytime you can spend time around these people, 
their wisdom will rub off on you and then you can impart it to someone else. And actually, when you teach it, it's actually the best form of learning by teaching, right? And so that's where you can then pass along to somebody else. I was just thinking about from a surgeon perspective, is I had always had mentors who were like looking to work with and for people who had a lot more knowledge than me. And then when I hit like 50 and all of a sudden I was one of the older guys and it was harder to find mentors with a lot more experience than I had. So that became a tough spot. And then I started noticing that like when you go to doctor conferences and stuff, there's a lot of focus on technical skills of being a surgeon on the knowledge base, which probably would be like from a hockey player standpoint on having the shooting skills and knowing what hockey is all about. But there's a gap there and having the coach that continues to teach you how to play as a team, how to put that team together, how to see the things you're missing while you're out there. I think there's a gap there in our profession that misses that. Yeah. And to call you, I mean, I don't like to call you on your both, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. You know, the back half of that word, right? So I don't know the, if you're going to blank that out, but they're bullshit really is what, because sometimes we create these statements or lies. So my wife is the best for this. She'll tell me straight, Mark, you're totally off. Like basically smarten up because you're totally out to lunch on what you just said there. I was like, yeah, you're right. Right. And so that's why it's so good having somebody that can call you out when you're not focused or you're giving excuses. And man, it's so powerful having that. And that's what I mean. A coach, for example, a good coach will do that. And actually, it's interesting. I found the best leaders out there. They have three common traits. And so coaches would actually have this as well. Number one is they need to be respected, as in like a little bit of like on wonder, like maybe not on wonder but like highly respected, right? They're not going to walk all over them. Right? The second thing is candor, like the ability to have crucial conversations, right? And then the third is what pulls it all together is the, the EQ skills, right? The ability to build relationships and rapport, which allows the second, the ability to have crucial conversations to know, they know that they're coming from a place of love, of like caring for them, not from a place of beating them up. And so if you could find a coach that has all three of those, and they're not worried about maybe ruffling some feathers for the sake of your growth, I think that's a really good hire. That's awesome. And being, I mean, it's almost like that you know they're willing to ruffle your feathers and call you out. Yeah. And coming from a place of like, yeah, you know what? You're right. And you may not agree with that. But for me, as we started growing our companies, like you want people to tell you the truth. And you don't want like, yes, people. Oh, yes. That's where you get into trouble when you have a bunch of yes people around you. It's like you want somebody to, to be able to call you out and to say, you know what? This is what I think. Here are my thoughts on this. And here's why. You know, you don't have to come out and say you're wrong and be like that blatant about it, but you can say, like, here are my thoughts. And if it's different. And that's why I think from a team standpoint, I know we're talking about coaching here, but you want to be able to surround your people that will disagree. And then you need to be have the humility enough to maybe you are wrong because where I found people that get in the most trouble is when they always think they're right and they couldn't even fathom the idea of them being wrong. So their cup is filled and they're not willing to learn more. And that's a real shame. 
because you can learn something from anyone. A homeless person, you can learn a lesson from them. But I think if you're going along the way and you're looking for those like little nuggets, curiosity is like the beginning of wisdom is to get wisdom, but you got to be open to it. That's interesting when you're talking about having people who will tell you no, because one of my frustrations in the healthcare industry is it seems like hospitals get like a gold standard model. And so everybody's looking at this one model and then they're hiring consultants and the consultants are all saying the same thing and it becomes a racetrack, but nobody wants to look. But if you look outside of the racetrack, oh no, that's bad. We've already found the best model and everything gets so caught up without stopping to say you're wrong. And maybe that's if you're hiring, if you build a whole team that everybody just keeps telling you the same story and you don't have that divergent view. So you've built a big organization. What are some of the things when you're hiring to make sure that you have the dissenting voices or at least the willing to look at it a different way and call you out if they disagree within your organization? Well, so the real estate team aspect, the we have about 50 staff and about 50 agents. So there's about 100 team members there. Now we built a strong leadership team, management team, where I'm very minimal in that business. Um, the president is really running that on a day-to-day basis. And we started this other vertical, Affairs uh, Capital, where it's a full-time team of seven right now. So if we were to talk about just an overarching kind of key attributes that we look for in people when they come on, I'd say, I mean, number one is, do they have a genuine love of people or not? Now, especially if they're client-facing, I think that's like a hard thing to train. I think a willingness to learn. I think that's one of my biggest turnoffs. If somebody is a know-it-all, they will not last an organization, regardless if it's capital or on the brokerage side. You can't fill a cup that's already full sort of approach. And it becomes very destructive to a culture, especially if you're in a learning. I think that any sort of growth company needs to be a learning culture. They need to have that mindset of, you know what? We don't know it all. We're learning as we go. And we're open to being wrong because we're breaking ceilings and we have to grow and learn new things to get to the next level. Right. So I think that's a big one. And then the last one's like a willingness to work hard. To me, treadmill in a company is like death almost. <laughs> like this is the way we've always done it. And like just showing up and we're on a sacred mission in both companies. And so if you're on a sacred mission, everybody depends on everyone else. And so there needs to be a high degree of urgency with execution and obviously a genuine care for the people who we're doing it for as well. You built the real estate business first, right? And then kind of moved into the capital business. So you used to be very hands-on in that. Yeah. So what I'm interested about is the idea of making yourself unnecessary or building a team that does everything you do to allow you to look back on the team from a much higher level. And I guess because I've seen a lot with doctors where the idea of being made unnecessary becomes very scary. But as you make yourself unnecessary, you buy yourself freedom to do other things and to kind of change the operation versus just getting stuck in the meat grinder of going to work every day. Yeah, that's good. So I was selling 150 homes a year with an assistant while leading the team selling a thousand homes. Okay. So I was busy and I was the ultimate operator. 
But I got to a point where I realized that the clients were not working it with me because of my personality or because who I was. They were working with me because of the standard of service that I was delivering. And so that really dawned on me. And somebody said to me once, these aren't my words. Somebody told me this. So I'm just repeating what I was told. Said, it's actually very narcissistic to think that your clients will only work with you as in you're the only person in the world that can do the thing that they need done. And I thought, I'm like, that's really good because they're actually committed to my standard of service. So if that's the case and my standard is high, then I need to really figure out what it is I'm doing and to be able to document it, create presentations and scripting, and to be able to tie together a very strong training program to be able to onboard agents with the right mindset, genuine love of people willing to work hard and listen, right? And learn and train them role play with them until they know it as good as I do. And then they can go out and do just as good as I did. And when I really figured that out, we started to grow. And so that was a big one, overcoming that mindset of it's got to be me. And then breaking it down to what do you do and then training it. And then from there, it rolls. I'll let you comment on that before I go to the next step on that, if there's anything you wanted to say. there. No, no, that was good. You kind of took what you did as a person and you made it replicable and trained other people to do it, which then allowed more people to be doing that work at that quality. That's right. And so there's really three things that any company needs to really get right to scale. And the first one is like a proper marketing function. So lead gen, lead conversion. You need to have people coming in the door and you got to know how to convert it. And the second one is like a scalable infrastructure. So like the presentations, the training, what I just went over with you, the right CRM, the systems and processes so that you have proper throughput so you can get enough clients through the door and they're not getting stuck with the you didn't process the order properly, for example. And the last one is like the most powerful one of the three that I found when I got it right was developing leadership and leadership within an organization. So I read this book, Jim Collins, Good to Great. He talked about building a strong leadership team. So we did that. We built a strong leadership team. That's kind of like the think tank for the company. And then we built strong frontline managers, frontline managers that could actually make strong decisions on the front lines where they didn't have to bring it up to me or the leadership team every day. They can't make these decisions. And so the stronger those frontline managers are that are there on a day-to-day basis that can make decisions, the more pressure is removed off the leadership team, which then allows them to make higher level strategic decisions. And so when you, if you can do that and you can get enough leaders, you can grow as an organization as large as you want. So if somebody has the fear that they've got this thing and it's grown because it's kind of been their baby of letting go of it, I think I've seen that a lot. Like, this is my thing and I can't let go of it and let somebody else run it because they might change it. How do you address that? Or how did you go about thinking about that as you started hiring? So you went from being you selling houses to having other people and training them to now you're going to hire leaders to pass some of that oversight off. What went on in that process, I guess, as far as deciding you needed other leaders and how you then let go of things and let them lead? Yeah. So I'll just start by saying, sometimes we get caught up that we got to do more and conquer more lands. And for some of the listeners out there, I think the right thing to do is keep doing what they're doing because they have a great work-life balance. They're happy. And they're really happy with working with the number of clients that they want. And so that's option one. And so option two is 
I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed, I'm working like crazy, and I'm stuck. And that becomes a different place because you can do one of two things. You can cut back on the amount of people you're working with, which is option one. Or in my case, what I did was I was working with so many people, I didn't have enough hours in the day. I had to hire somebody, right? And so that's where the next step then is, and probably the right step is to find out everything you're doing, write it down and delegate the bottom 50% of what you're doing, the least valuable activities to a more of an administrative person. And so you're doing all of the skillful higher priority items and you're delegating that bottom half. And you can get very effective and productive by having like a number of assistants where you're the one working with all the clients. And that's a very efficient model. And so for some people, that's fine. It's for the group that wants to keep growing and developing. And that's when they really got to take that next step of hiring somebody to do the full role that they're doing from start to finish. And that's a bigger leap of faith than say, hiring assistants. Wow, that's great. As you were talking about where you had too many people and too much stuff and not enough hours in the day, that reminds me a lot of how a lot of doctors feel that there's no lack of business. There's people coming in. And and as America ages, that just keeps going. And so there is that point where you have to say, we're going to see less people and there's just only so much I can do. And then a lot of people have trouble with that because they feel like, well, people need taken care of. Or if you're going to bring more people through, you have to change the way you look at it. And I love that looking at the bottom 50% and kind of going, okay, what am I doing now that I don't have to do for what makes me your secret sauce for whatever it is that you do? If it's being a urologist, that what goes on every day that a urologist doesn't have to do? And it's amazing how much we can think we have to do. That the whole thing's going to fall apart if I don't do it. And when you really stop and look at it, how many of those things you can hand off. And sometimes the people you hand it off to do it even better because it's kind of their best and highest use of their time. So they're thrilled about it. This is this amazing new opportunity. And to me, at least, it was part of my grind. And all of a sudden you hand off your grind and you feel like you're just pushing off junk on people. And then they come and they're like, thank you for letting me do this. This is so awesome. This is so cool. I remember the first time I went through that and I was like, oh, you like my junk work that drove me crazy. I don't know. It's like everybody in the world is different. And I think that almost everything that needs to be to get done, somebody out there will enjoy it. And what you hate, they may love. Yeah, you nailed it. There's wisdom in what you just said there. I think if you can get a good administrative person that you work with, that will change your life. Somebody really good, it'll change your life. That's probably the biggest significant win that I saw in all the hiring was that very first hire. If you can find somebody that has done like what you want them to do, ideally that first hire, because you're so stressed and busy, you don't have time to train them. Don't try and train them. Find somebody that has done that job before and they will come in and your life will completely change. And really don't look at it as one-year investment. Look at it as a three-month investment. Because if you don't see value after three months, I would say it's probably not a right fit. The right person, you'll see value in the first three months for, for 100%. And the really right person, you see value in like the first day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go home and you go, please let them be that good tomorrow. Yeah. 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 No doubt. <laughs> and a week later, you're like, how did we ever live without this yeah. person? Yeah. Um, 
All right. So I'm just going to go back to real estate now and things that you think you want doctors to know about real estate or about what you do that you think is a golden nugget for them. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think the reality is you can do this investment. First off, just look at, I mean, real estate's made 90% of millionaires, right? I mean, I think if we can all agree that real estate is probably a really great place to invest. So then the next question is, do you do it actively or do you do it with a partner? I'm not even a big fan of passively that word because all the investors are all active, right? We all want to be pursuing things. And passive is almost like a disgusting word in a, in a way, I think, for some people. And so this is really... It's a further form of leverage when you're working with somebody like Michael, let's say yourself or what we're doing. So if you're looking to do more of an active approach, when you're looking at your returns, make sure you're factoring in how much you're worth per hour and factor that in on how many hours so you put 100 hours into a deal. That If you're $1,000 an hour, that's a lot of money, right? And so the reality is, is you need to factor that into your returns when you're comparing to what we could deliver or what Michael could deliver here. And I think that's a really important part is working with an experienced operator that does this every day is another form of leverage, just like hiring somebody. And so to me, the biggest downfall is if you don't invest in real estate, you say you're going to do it. But then you don't take that step and that forward in that action and you don't invest that money and it's there and it's losing every day based on inflation and you don't get into the market. So I think that's something to really consider if you're looking to invest in real estate. Kind of another thought. That's awesome. And here you listed your superpower. Maybe we kind of already went through this is creating a strong vision and assembling the right team to make it happen. We didn't talk a lot about vision. So tell me more a little bit about your perspective on having that strong vision and what that means to the whole operation. Yeah. So here's the thing. I mean, the reality is I'm more of a visionary. My partner, John McCarowitz, so he's more of an integrator. So operations, he's phenomenal. But one of the things that I found for me that there's a strength is, is creating like this vision of where we're going as a company and making it very clear to everyone, okay, this is where we want to go together. It's like this whole idea of if the people lack vision, they perish. Like you can work really hard, but you really need to have like a future goal of where you're going to. And so I think there's the different forms of this. There's like the 10 year BHAG or big, hairy, audacious goal, which is like it's so big that it almost seems impossible, but it's far enough down the road that something that's like your North Star. But then if you backtrack from that, if you go three years out, that's a really good place to be able to set a strong vision. And so Cameron Harold wrote this book, Vivid Vision. It's a short read. It's like a two-hour read of writing out like a two to three page document of what does your three-year life look like in three years? And so for us, for business, we created this multi-page document of this is what we want the company to look like in three years. And so you can even do that on a personal side with yourself and your spouse. Uh, here's what we want our personal life to look like in three years. But when you set a strong vision like that, and everybody knows where they're going, I mean, the reality is that A players, they want to know if they're working with you. They want to know what their purpose is. They want autonomy, but mastery as well. And purpose, vision is a big part of that. Here's where we're going as a company. And then that's your job to constantly be reminding people, here's where we're going. Here's where we're going, right? And people love that when they know why they're coming into work and clients know what 
you stand for as well. So I think that vision is a part of the leader that I realize is more and more important as one of the top things to do as kind of a got more season in business. That was great. You just gave me a pearl there that I was like, wait, because I've thought about a lot of that from a business standpoint, but I had this conversation with my wife just the other day. It was like, we're about to be in empty nest. And this discussion of we got married right at the end of medical school, and then we had kids and residency, and there's been a lot of chaos. And we're like, man, it's always felt like there was just this chaos. We never had a three-year plan, a five-year plan to be like, I'm going to go do this tonight. I'm going to sit down and go, what's our vision for three years from now? What do we want life to look like? And let's have a plan so that now we're trying to build this vision. So thank you. That was awesome. Doing it for your life and with your wife. Yeah, no, it's a fun exercise. Gives you a little bit more kind of focus and it helps you with your daily decisions as well. Like, is this going to help me go towards that vision or away from it? That's great. I was at a conference last summer and the keynote speaker was Mark King, who's the retiring CEO of Taco Bell and was kind of the guy who rebuilt Adidas. And he was talking about vision and having a vision statement. He said, you know, a lot of people, they build these complex vision statements that you couldn't, you know, to go back through the whole thing. And they got lots of fancy words and all this to it. He said to him, that vision and that vision statement should be something that any employee at any level, if they have a question about what they should do, A or B, they can go to the vision statement and say, does A or B lead us towards the vision for our company? And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think that sometimes mission and vision gets kind of intertwined and then there's purpose and then why, and there's lots of different words for it. For us, we call like the vision, like the mission statement. And I think whether it's mission or vision, the reality is, yes, it should be short. And so there's a vision statement or mission statement that people in the company should know that off the bat, but then you can dive deeper and actually paint out a full vision uh, there for you, which are like two different elements there as well. But it's easy to get them kind of intertwined. And it's not one's wrong or one's right. I think it's pick one and make sure you have people know in a short sentence what it is that you're doing there. Like what's the purpose? And then you can get more granular and a kind of a larger written vision statement, if that makes sense. Well, this has been awesome. And you've provided so much value, at least for me. So I hope the listeners have got the same thing. And I'm sure they have. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap this up? Yeah. So for me, I mean, this is great, Mike. I think overall the conversation, what I mean, the time flew by 100%. I think that for most people, what I've realized is when you start asking them what regrets they have, I mean, I'm talking more so from a financial standpoint. Most of the regrets that I hear is I should have bought more real estate. And so right now, it's not a sexy time to buy real estate. It's just not. It doesn't feel good, right? You go to the newspapers, it just does not feel right. But when I go back from when I started in 2007 in real estate, all the best times to invest was when it felt like this, when you look back when the market took a dip. And so I want to encourage investors to have courage through this period and trust that real estate is still a wonderful place to invest. If any time, this is one of the best like I'm so bullish on the market because nothing has changed for supply and demand is rates. And so as those start coming down, I think we're going to see another run. And I'm just extremely bullish. If you have the courage to take a step forward now, I mean, there's no crystal ball here, but my opinion is you're going to be very well rewarded. 
That's awesome. And if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, you can go on my Instagram. So Ferris Capital Partners on Instagram. You can go to FerrisCapitalPartners.com or website and check us out there. And yeah, you can direct message us and we'll get right back to you. All right. So you got your website, you got the Instagram. Thank you so much. So appreciate you being here. If any of our listeners out there have any questions, please reach out to me, but be happy to talk with you and answer those. And join us next time on Surgeon Syndicate. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you found value in this episode, no other surgeons are hungry to become job optional. You can help them by sharing this content today. I also want to serve you better, so I want to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you can take a moment and leave an honest review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. Number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help. Schedule a call. We can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.